Yes, the Burns had done it. The power plant had won it. With Roger Clemens clucking all the while. Mike Sosha's tragic illness made us smile. While Wade Boggs lay unconscious on the barroom tile. We're talking softball. From Maine to San Diego, talking softball. Manningly and Canseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer. Ozzy and the straw. Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God, our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That was a song talking softball from. Uh, season 3, episode 17 of The Simpsons, and that marks the beginning of this week's episode of the Key Row Film Society. Uh, the episode this week we are going to be, is going to be themed very heavily around baseball. Uh, because this past week was the opening of the, uh, 2016 baseball season, and so we're going to play right along with that theme. Uh, I don't have any new movies to review this week because there was not much I really wanted to see. Um, the only new movie in the area that I would consider seeing was Hardcore uh, Henry. But I'm not really too, wasn't excited enough to go see it. So instead I'm going to wait until next week and I'll probably go see, I believe The Jungle Book comes out next week. Uh, directed by John Favreau. Uh, who familiarly uh, f directed the movie um, Iron Man, which is you know a pretty solid movie. One of, well, actually, a great superhero movie. So that's what I'll probably review next week. But this week, there's nothing new in the theaters, so we're gonna go right. So it's really gonna be uh, pretty much just a short two-part episode, and or two-piece episode, or however you want to call it, and. So the first half of the episode, we're going to be ranking my favorite baseball movies. And note favorite, not best necessarily, uh, because there are baseball movies I have not seen yet. Um, you know, movies like Pride of the Yankees is one that probably could be listed pretty well. And I won't have that um, to be ranked uh, because I haven't seen it. So that's why we're going with favorite movies. Uh, favorite baseball movies, not best baseball movies. So as we go into this segment on the favorite baseball movies of all time, I'm going to use this little uh, kind of introduction that is not actually a baseball movie, but it's close enough and I thought it would be a great way to start this segment. <laughs> Sebastian, Sebastian, please. Don't interrupt my act. Sebastian. Oh, Mr. Brother, 
course. I, I didn't see the lights there. I forgot about them. What in the world are you doing? Right. Why are you interrupt my act like this? Well, look, Mr. Brothers, I mean, after all, if you're in a ballpark, they always sell peanuts and popcorns and things like that. I know that, Sebastian, but not in front of them. I, I beg, I beg his pardon, Frank. Ladies and will gentlemen, you? and also the okay. children, will you excuse me for a minute, please? Thank you. What do you want to do? Look, Mr. Brothers. Right. What are you doing? I love baseball. Well, we all love baseball. When we get to St. Louis, will you tell me the guys' names on the team so when I go to see them in that St. Louis ballpark, I'll be able to know those fellas? Well, now, it's all right, folks. All right, shit. Now, all right, I want to find out the fellas' names. As long as it's okay with you. I'm crazy about baseball. Will you stand still? Pick up your hat. Go pick up your hat. Okay. Now, look. Then you'll go and penny your popcorn and don't interrupt the act anymore? Yes, sir. All right. But you know, strange may seem they give ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names? Nicknames, pet names. Not as funny as my name, Sebastian Dinwiddie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Funnier than that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Now, on the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second. I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you. Who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the fellas' names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas' name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. Who is on first? I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Now, you got a first baseman on first. Certainly. Then who's playing first? Absolutely. When you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. Why not? The man's entitled to it. Who is? Yes. So who gets it? Why shouldn't he? Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Who's what? Yes. <laughs> After all, the man earns it. Who does? Absolutely. Well, all I'm trying to find out is what's the guy's name on first base? Oh, no, no. no. What is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? That's what I'm trying to find out. Well, don't change the players. I'm not changing nobody. Take it easy. What's the guy's name on first base? What's the guy's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. We're not talking about him. How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. If I mention a third baseman's name, who did I say is playing third? No, who's playing first? Stay off of first, will you? Well, what do you want me to do? Now, what's the guy's name on third base? Well, what's on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third again. Well, I can't change their names. Will you please stay on third base, Mr. Broadhurst? Now, what is it you want to know? What is the fella's name on third base? What is the fella's name on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? I don't know. Third base. You got an outfield? Oh, sure. St. Louis has got a oh, good outfield? Absolutely. The left fielder's name. Why? I don't know. I just thought I'd ask you. Well, I just thought I'd tell you. Then tell me who's playing left field. Who is playing first? Stay out of the infield. Don't mention their names out here. I want to know what's the fellow's name in left field. What is on second? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Third base. Take it easy, man. And the left fielder's name? Why? Because. Oh, he's center field. He said, will you pick up your hat, please? Pick up your hat and look. stop this. Oh, look, Mr. Please. Brothers. Yes. You got a pitcher on a team? Wouldn't this be a fine team without a pitcher? I don't know. Tell me the pitcher's name. Tamara. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, man. And go ahead. Tamara. What time? What time what? What time tomorrow are you going to tell me who's pitching? Now, listen. Who is not pitching? Who is on? I'll break your arm, you say. Who's on first? I come up here and ask. I want to know what's the pitcher's name. What's on second? I don't know. Third base. You got a catcher? Yes. The catcher's name. Today. Today. And tomorrow's pitching. Now you've got it. That's all. Shea Lewis has got a couple of days on the team. Oh, I can't help that. All right. 
What do you want me to do? Got a catcher? Yes. I'm a good catcher too, you know. I know that. I would like to play for the St. Louis team. Well, I might arrange that. I, I would like to catch. Now, I'm being a good catcher. Tomorrow's pitching on the team and I'm catching. Yes. Tomorrow throws the ball and the guy up bunts the ball. Yes. Now, when he bunts the ball, me being a good catcher, I want to throw the guy out at first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Well, that's all you have to do. Is to throw it to first base. Sure. Now, who's got it? Naturally. Who has it? Naturally. 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 Okay. Now you've got it. I pick up the ball and I throw it to naturally. No, you he, don't. You throw the ball to first base. Then who gets it? Naturally. Okay. All right. I throw a ball to naturally. You don't. You throw it to who? Naturally. Well, that's it. Say it that way. That's what I said. You did not. I said I throw the ball to naturally. You don't. You throw it to who? Naturally. Yes. So I throw the ball to first base and naturally gets it. No, you throw the ball to first base. Then who gets it? Naturally. That's what I'm saying. You're not saying that. Excuse me, folks. Sorry, I'm sorry, friend. I throw the ball to naturally. You throw it to who? Naturally. Actually, we'll say it that way. That's what I'm saying. Don't get excited now. Don't get I excited. I throw the ball to first base and who gets it? He better get it. All right, now don't get excited. Take it easy. Hmm. Now I throw the ball to first base. Whoever just drops the ball so the guy runs to second. Mm -hmm. Who picks up the ball and throws it to what? What throws it? I don't know. I don't know. Throws it back to tomorrow. A triple play. Yeah, it could be. Another guy gets up and it's a long fly ball to be caused. Why? I don't know. He's on third and I don't care. Over there? I said, I don't care. Oh, that's a shortstop. So there you have it. One of the classic skits of about baseball and by Abbott and Costello, who's on first, one of the, really honestly, one of the funniest skits ever, uh, makes me laugh, uh, fortunately I kept myself from laughing while watching it even this time. So, uh, so this leads into, uh, the top ten, my top ten favorite, uh, baseball movies of all time, and so I'm going to play the trailers of these various movies as I introduce each one. So here comes my number one move, my my number ten, my tenth favorite movie of all time. Here it is. Billy, if you're watching this tape, I guess I'm dead. I'm sorry. Billy, you're my best friend in the world. And I want you to have my very favorite thing, the Minnesota Twins. When my grandpa died, all I got was a sweat. First of all, I'd just like to say this is really cool. You mean you own the team and the stadium? Can I borrow five bucks? I would like to announce that I've named myself the new manager of the Minnesota Twins. Go away. Really, it's not that easy. There's a lot to this game. A lot. You know how hard it is to manage? It's the American League. They got the DH. How hard could it be? I gotta go over all this paperwork. Wow, you sound like my dad. Can I like, have your autograph? Wow, shut up. Hold on. What a babe. Mom, come on. The what guys are watching. Nobody's watching. I'm not gonna win anything with a kid for a manager. Now, why don't you go home and build yourself a fort or something? I know you guys think I'm a joke. Put me in there, I can throw drugs. Maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe the problem is you guys forgot how much fun this is. They're major leaguers. Don't you understand? 
guys get to play baseball every day. Who could be better? Castle Rock Entertainment is proud to present Little Big League. Baseball is made for kids. Just go out and play and have fun. I hate fun. So that was the movie Little Big League. Admittedly, it's not really that great of a movie, but I have to pick it as my favorite movie because it's based out of my, around my favorite team, the Minnesota Twins. And it was back in the... Um, it features a lot of things in Minneapolis that felt familiar. Uh, granted, it was during the an era of the Twins that we like to not think about. It was the years after Puckett retired, and the Twins were really quite dismal. Uh, but it's a good movie, and it's got it had as an enjoyable movie as a Twins fan. It even had Randy Johnson in there, who's a pitcher that I always loved. So, uh, not a great movie, but that's what I pick as my number ten movie. And here's another one that is also kind of more of a sentimental favorite. Uh, it's one that came out when I was a young, when I was only like eleven years old, and so. Um, it has a little sentimentality to it, so here it is. Mom, come on. I got a game. Henry thinks that he's actually going to play today. Henry Rowan Gardner had a dream. <laughs> play in the major leagues. Only one thing. I got it! Stood in his way. <laughs> Reality. Until one day. Everything fell into place. How long will he have to be in the cast? August. And now rotate from the shoulder slowly. Oh, whoa! Funky butt loving! Did you say funky butt loving? Those tendons have healed uh, a little tight. Now, the kid who wasn't good enough for little people. <laughs> Is pitching. In the big leagues. I'm the new pitcher. Twelve-year-old Henry Rowengardner, the youngest person in history to play Major League Baseball. So that was the movie Rookie of the Year. Again, like I said, it came out when I was in 11 years old, so pretty close, pretty much the age that that movie was targeted at. And so for that very reason, I enjoyed it as a kid. And so it's got a sentimentality to it that it gets number nine on my list. Um, the And I was watching you know, watching the trailer. I haven't watched the movie in many years, but 
just looking at the trailer, they had they had people like Barry Bonds and they had Bobby Bonilla, a uh, bunch of real real life players in it, and. Kind of like the Twids were in the 90s, the Cubs definitely didn't have a very proud history itself, and so it was a very natural team uh, to play off of their woes. So, so there's number, those are my 10 and 9 or 2 movies that really are not that good of movies, but I put them in there for sentimental reasons. And so here comes number 8. There are rich teams, and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. That's a dollar, man. What? Welcome to Oakland. I need more money. We're not New York. Fine players are the money that we do have. I like Perez. Got an ugly girlfriend. Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. You guys are talking the same old nonsense. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. Who's Fabio? Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. We're going to shake things up. Why don't you walk me through the board? I believe there's a championship team that we can afford because everyone else undervalues them. Like an island of misfit toys. We want you at first base. I've only ever played catcher. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him watch. It's incredibly hard. He can't throw. But what can he do? You want me to speak? When I point you again. He gets on base. We are card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. I'm heading in. Text me to play by play. Wait, what? I'm watching games. Billy Bean has tried to reinvent a system that's been working for years. It was a nice theory, just not working out. How long is Billy Bean going to last? He's proven himself right out of a job. In their minds, it's threatening the game. It's threatening the way that they do things. Hey, Daddy, do you think you'll lose your job? What? Where'd you hear that? Well, I go on the internet sometimes. Don't go on the internet. Watch TV or talk to people. You're discounting what scouts have done for 150 years? So there's my number eight movie, Moneyball, uh, starring Brad Pitt and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was in there and um, a few other um, actors in there, notable actors, and because I'm of whom I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, let's see, it also had a, Jonah Hill, of course. Uh, Chris Pratt was in here uh, before anybody really knew much about who Chris Pratt was, I guess, at least... In my mind, I didn't know really much of who he was. So, but he was in that movie, played one of the played as one of the player, acted as one of the players. Um, the movie had a very good, successful run in terms of awards. Got nominated for best picture, best actor, best supporting actor, best adapted screenplay, best film editing, and best sound mixing. 
<laughs> didn't win any of those awards, but it got nominated for all of them. And, you know, it was a, it was a really good movie looking at a kind of this risky scheme that he took to build the baseball team. Uh, it's kind of weird watching it as a twin fan. And the reason is, is because the twins were having a really good season the same year that Oakland had that season. In fact, it's the twins that kicked them out of the playoffs. And the twins actually built their team the old fashioned way, which is through, uh, farm systems and, you know, small ball, stealing bases, not making mistakes, all those fundamental things. And they did extremely well at it. And granted, the Twins never won a World Series on it, but they were successful for quite some time. And the I would argue that the Kansas City Royals, who won the World Series last year, arguably won on the strategy on that strategy you know they didn't buy a championship they didn't do what the Yankees were famous for doing or the Red Sox are famous for doing they built their team from the scratch up and I I mean the Moneyball movie is a good movie it's interesting to see these guys figure out how to put together a team with these old washed up players but um you look at Reality, the teams that last are the teams that build the way the Royals built. Um, the way the Twins were building during the, you know, the early 2000s. Uh, and I hope the Twins could build up that way again. And it, it seems like they are in the early stages of building another one of those teams. And they got a good, right now they have a really good manager. They're not, right now they're kind of struggling, they're 0-4. But uh, it's an 0-4 that doesn't make me too worried. So... Um, so there's the number eight. So, so far I've got number 10 is, uh, number 10, Little Big League, number nine, uh, Rookie of the Year, number eight, Moneyball, and here comes number seven. I'd like to lead you all in a little prayer. Dear Lord... May our feet be swift, may our bats be mighty, may our balls be plentiful. And Lord, I just like to thank you for that waitress in South Bend. You know who she is. She kept calling your name. This summer, Tom Hanks is managing the impossible, the Rockford Peaches. Columbia Pictures would like to take you out to the ball game. 
for an all-star comedy. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well then, this would be more, wouldn't it? The manager, Tom Hanks. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. The catcher, Gina Davis. When you see me slip in the back seat, you make a man out of me. We should smack you around for a while. Can't we do both? The pitcher, Lori Petty. The scout, John Lovitz. Are you coming? See how it works is. The train moves, not the station. And batting cleanup, Madonna. What if my uniform bursts open and, oops, my bosoms come flying out? You think there are men in this country who ain't seen your bosoms? A league of their own. All right. God knows we have a game. It's not like any of this helps, believe me. Directed by Penny Marshall. Right, there, that was a league of their own. Uh, so that's my number uh, seven movie. Yeah, my number seven mo- favorite movie, uh, baseball movie, is yeah, League of Their Own. Uh, you heard one of the classic lines of film is there's no crying in baseball. And... Uh, Good acting, some pretty strong cast. Um, sorry about that uh, ring that went off. That's kind of the perils of uh, recording a podcast as a pastor. Sometimes phone goes off and you have to suddenly have to answer it. Um, and as you know, I usually I, the recordings you get are raw recordings. I don't go through and edit things through just because I don't have the time to do that. So... Uh, so that so 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 the next movie up is so here comes the next movie on my list. A little early for Christmas shopping, ain't it? Who's up front in the cab? Santa Claus. And that is not the movie I accidentally. <laughs> ah, boy, technological error. Here's the downside of it being. Uh, a raw recording I accidentally... P- <laughs> Don't pay attention to the year of the movie I'm looking at. Um, another movie had the same title. <laughs> Definitely not the same movie. Give me a second. He- uh, here, I'm going to start up the correct one here in a moment. Welcome to the World Series Champion. Now it's your turn, Coach. You start 
around it is a simple bet. I promise to try out. It was this thing to get the kids to start playing. It became the most incredible true story. Rule number one is arms slow down when they get up in baseball history. From the studio that brought you Remember the Titans. We've got an eight-year-old boy who waited all day in the rain to see his daddy try to do something that nobody believed he could do. Now what are we telling him if we don't try now? The spring. You bring us a gift? Try your own? I'm here for me. For you. Jimmy, on, you're up. Just a second. I'm not doing it. Don't hurt yourself. His dream was impossible. You the old guy? I'm the old guy. That movie was The Rookie with uh, Dennis Quaid. Uh, it's about a guy who was a high school coach and tried out for professional baseball, and it's a true story. Um, Jim Morris, just going to kind of quickly uh, Google this. Um, he did play a lot. Uh, he played. He did play for the Devil Rays. Um, he played two seasons. His ERA was... Uh, once I find it, uh, his ERA, 5.79, his first season, 4.35, his second. But the thing is, that was really remarkable, is just the fact that he was 35 years old. A 35-year-old got rookie. And so it's quite impressive to see that old of a guy playing baseball. So, and so the movie is based about him, and I, I like the story. Uh, I know there's a lot better movies than that one, but um, I liked it. I always enjoyed it when it came out. So uh, for that reason, I put it as um, at this spot. And so at this point, we've got uh, number 10, Little Big League. Number 9, Rookie of the Year. Number 8, Moneyball. Number 7, A League of Their Own. Number 6, The Rookie. And here we come to number five. My daddy left us. I was only six months older than you are now. I don't remember him. You will remember me. Jackie Robinson, a black man in white baseball. I want you to know I'm there for you. In my heart. Think about the abuse that he's going to take. Your enemy will be out in force, but you cannot meet him on his own low ground. What you going to do if one of these pictures throws through your head? I'll duck. my words and circle this date. Negroes are going to run the white man straight out of baseball. This ain't the America I know. You hear me? They knew you. They were ashamed. If Robinson can help us win, then he is going to play on this ball club. 
You don't belong here, and you never will. Get off the field. Brooklyn Dodgers ain't changing our way of living. Wear me down. You are not the only one with something at stake here. You want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? No, I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. You give me a uniform. You give me a number on my back. I'll give you the guts. I Brooklyn Dodgerville. I Jack. I Rob. I Sam. Oh man, I'm Jackie Robinson. Set when I run base. I dodge the pen. I'm just a ball player. You are a hero. Watch you look in the mirror. This is a white man's game. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. I'm a Brooklyn boy. I may take some getting used to. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. The next movie that I... So, uh, number five on my list is the movie 42. Um, it's about the life of Jackie Robinson. Uh, you know, it's a typical um, biopic movie. Uh, I liked it. Uh, and I think it's actually a movie that might be even worth uh, uh, doing an episode around. Because there's some good themes in there that I could definitely ex uh, explore. Um, not, I don't think I'd use it to talk about necessarily racism. Although racism is a good topic, um, I think I, there's other movies I'd like to use. I would like to use to explore that. But I do think that Forty Two also can open up other discussions, other conversations that I'd like to explore. Um, and I'm gonna probably I don't know what I'm gonna ever when I'm gonna use that, but it's I think it's gonna be a movie on my list in the future. Uh, just like I said, because of some of the ideas are explored in it. Uh, Had some some good performances. I, I actually really loved Harrison Ford as Branch Rickey. Uh, when I saw the opening scenes of the movie, they had Harrison Ford at just the right angle uh, that I didn't recognize as Harrison Ford because I didn't know who's I didn't really pay attention to who's in the cast. Um, I just watched the movie because I I knew it was a baseball movie and what I'd watched a few before I did this podcast. And so, like I said, I looked. So I just put in the movie on Amazon and and. A little, until a little bit in that, I'm like, wait, but that's Harrison Ford. And that tells you something. I didn't recognize his voice, um, although now I could kind of hear it. But it wasn't 100% obvious this was Harrison Ford until they had the right angle on him, which to me, that's, um, a, good that's a good performance. Uh, he's an interesting character, uh, had some really good moments. Uh, Chadwick uh, Boseman as Jackie Robinson Definitely had a strong performance. Uh, there's a lot of good players in there. A lot of great, some great scenes throughout the movie. Uh, Alan Tudyk played Ben Chapman. Uh, Alan Tudyk is a he's an actor that a lot of us uh, more nerdy fans really like because he's a guy that was on. He was in Firefly and some other. Um, Joss Whedon stuff, and so he tends to be a fan favorite, and so it's kind of weird to watch this guy that we love spout out these racist slurs and be just this nasty, nasty guy, and uh, 
So I imagine for him as an actor, that had to been been it had to have been hard to do that role because he's probably the most one of the most vulgar out of all the characters in the film. So, uh, like I said, it was a solid movie, and so I put that at number five. Uh, which so here comes with that in mind. Here comes number four. So that movie was The Sandlot, another one of those great baseball movies that came out when I was younger as a kid. Uh, that one isn't just sentimental. I think that was just, I think that's still a fun movie to watch. Um, really just nostalgic um, for the, you know, the baseball that you played as a kid. I remember growing up that I, I remember loving playing baseball with some of my friends, uh, go, you know, playing in the backyard or... Uh, we didn't have a sandlot. Uh, we have we. I'm in a, you know. I've grown up in an era where you could find baseball fields quite about pretty much anywhere. Softball fields, and so, but you know, playing in the in our apartments here in, in down in Ankeny where I grew up, um, me and my friends. There's right in between our uh, two buildings. The buildings were aligned just right that we were able to play baseball right there. Um, it was a nice little diamond. We played it all the time to the um, late hours of the evening. And so I love that movie. It's a great movie. It's 
Uh, like I said, nostalgic for those times of summer, those months of summer, where you played baseball with your best friends, built some great relationships out of it, and so, good movie. Uh, so here we are in the top three favorite baseball movies of all time, and here comes number three. This one is not a trailer, because I could not find a trailer for it on TV. On the internet, um, as far as I can tell. Uh, so I got to find. So instead, we're going to play uh, actually the closing sequence of the movie. And it's one of those movies that I do not think that if I play the closing scene, I'm ruining the movie because it's a historical movie. You know how. You should know how it's going to end. So here it goes. Okay, that's the movie 61, uh, about the about Roger Maris hitting that 61st home run. I love that movie. So nostalgic for uh, the history of the Yankees. I hate the Yankees, but you cannot deny that the Yankees have an incredible history in terms of baseball. Uh, you have you know Roger Maris, who it's about, but it's also almost as much about uh, Mickey Mantle as it is about Roger Maris. Um, it's a... You know, it's a very, I think it's a well-done movie, even though it was just, it's one that was just made for HBO, it did not come out in, um, in theaters, which is probably why I couldn't find a tra good trailer for it. Uh, good movie, fun, uh, makes you love the history of baseball, and it's a really nice, kind of neat how in the movie they compare uh, the chase between... Uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire. If any of you remember when that happened, that was a uh, incredible baseball season because baseball at the time was still uh, getting over the strike from 1994. A lot of people were having troubles trusting baseball. And 98 happens, and all of a sudden you had this incredible home run chase 
between uh, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, the Cubs and the Cardinals, two teams that have just a wonderful rivalry in their history, uh, to this, and they still do. And it was such a great home run race. And so the movie 61 uses, takes that as a way to point us back to the home run race of Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris, who were teammates. And it's a really good story and very, I think it's very well done for, the, for having a low budget being an HBO movie. So I love it. Uh, it's a... I think it's an underrated movie, so for that reason, I so I'm putting it at number three. Here comes number two. Harry Doyle here, welcoming all of you to another season of Indians baseball. Here's a list of players we'll be inviting to camp. This guy here is dead. Cross him off then. We'd love for you to come to spring training for a shot at this year's club. By the way, you were with me last night. Who's this chick on top of me? We'd still like to take a look at you at our spring camp. Not sure I can make it by then. Who is that? Serrano. What's his religion? Voodoo. Hey! Who made Hayes here? Play like Mays? I run like Hayes. How you doing? What the hell league you been playing in? California Penal. Don't you have any proven major league talent? Now, I want to put together a team that will help us relocate to Miami. You want us to lose? We've been losing. What I want is for us to finish dead last. This year, the Cleveland Indians have a multi-talented team. The first offering, just a bit outside. They're masters of the sacrifice. He's looking to sacrifice a live chicken. One old chicken, just like you said. The double play. Excuse me. I have a much better body than she does. Thanks for me, she really does. And the pickoff. Every time we win, we peel a section. Tom Berenger. Supremacy curb stock. Use your imagination. These things make me look ridiculous. Seeing's the most important thing, son. I don't think it's that important. Corbin Burnson and Bob Euchre. Hey, with swings and crushes one towards South America. Major League. That ball wouldn't have been out of a lot of parks. Name one. Yellowstone. <laughs> well, that was uh, so. That's my number two favorite movie of all t- baseball movie of all time. Major League uh, came out uh, some point in the nineteen eighties. Uh, great movie that's just flat out funny. Uh, even it's kind of amazing. It's a movie that still manages to even still get a little bit of nostalgia of baseball. Because baseball as a sport, you know, I'm pro- I'm more of a football fan than I am baseball, but I cannot ignore the fact that baseball is simply a very poetic, very nostalgic sport. And so, uh, ma- the movie Major League does a good job of capturing that, even in spite of its the fact that a lot of the movie is parody, it's spoof, but it's funny. It's got some great moments in it. 
Uh, it did have a sequel, which was less desirable. Uh, came out in 1989. I got it pulled up here online on the internet. But 1989 it came out. So it was a... Uh, actually, it had two sequels. I forgot. It had Back to the Miners, which is even worse than the second, the second movie. Uh, but... So there's my number two movie, and here comes my number one favorite baseball movie of all time. I have just created something totally illogical. So there is my number one favorite uh, baseball movie of all time, and that is going to be the movie of this episode. So as you know, one of the major things of my my show, this podcast, is I talk about themes, I talk about ideas expressed in movies, and the movie that is going to be the highlight movie of the day is this movie, The Field of Dreams. Uh, a great movie, and I'm going to get to I'm going to get into a little bit more of that review. As we continue forward here, um, the movie, the movie Field of Dreams is, you know, one of the best movies that has uh, come out in uh, many years. Here's just kind of some of its honors. In the American Film Institute, uh, they ranked it, it was nominated for the 100 Years, 100 Movies. Uh, the quote, if you build it, he will come, is the 39th best movie quote of all, quote of all time. It was nominated for 
The 100 Years of Film Scores is number 28 for 100 Years, 100 Cheers. Uh, nominated for the 10th anniversary of the 100 Years, 100 Movies. And it was ranked number 6 of fantasy films on the American Film Institute. Uh, the year it came out... Um, let's see here. Uh, it was also nominated for... Um, the year it came out, it was nominated for Best Original Score, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Picture. So... And honestly, it's not totally a, uh, too embarrassing that it lost that year because if I remember correctly, there were some pretty good movies that came out that year. So we're looking at the... And interestingly, this came out the same year as my uh, number two movie, Major League. They both came out in 1989. So uh, 1989 was a good year for baseball movies. And uh, between Major League, which is a funny version... And Field of Dreams, which is just absolutely beautiful. It's a very nostalgic movie. Makes you absolutely love uh, baseball. It uses a good soundtrack, very well-written dialogue, very well, good, very strong script. Um, I'm looking at the movies that got nominated. Let's see, the movies that got... the. Wait, but the movie that won that year, okay, was not actually a fair win. Sorry. Uh, the, mo the other movies that got nominated that year was Dead Poets Society, uh, Born on the Fourth of July, and My Left Foot. And, okay, that seems like that's kind of, a, that's kind of theft. Uh, Dead Poets Society or Field of Dreams, I feel, should have <laughs> won over Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Dead Poets Society won Best Original Screenplay that year. And somehow... Really? Okay, sorry, I'm just reading this now, and Driving Miss Daisy is kind of notoriously known as one of the worst movies to win Best Picture uh, because there were so, so many movies that came out that year that could have won it instead. And so, boy, best adapted screenplay over Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams is honestly just a great screenplay, just beautiful language. Uh, woven throughout the movie, a lot of good poetry, and it's got beautiful moments that it deserves a best picture, and or you know, Dead Poet Society also deserves it. Which, by the way, is probably a movie that I'll uh, probably do on this show at some point. Is Dead Poet Society, but Field of Dreams, like I said, it's got a really good accolades, uh, a good pedigree. And the movie is, it has some really good things to play on. Uh, some of the themes I'd look into, so like this last week, this past Monday, uh, I hosted, at, here in the Parsonage, I hosted what's called uh, Christ in Cinema. It's a once a month meeting of members of the congregation. We watch a movie, and I usually hand out a viewing guide Uh so that they could explore later on or maybe during the movie some of the ideas and the themes in the movie. So Field of Dreams, here's what I had. So here's a few points of discussion that kind of come with it. Um, there's definitely a story going on in this movie about, and this is kind of the core of the movie, uh, the relationship between Kevin Costner's character and his father. It's a very, very much in the background of this movie. And, you know, it's, it's regret. You know, something that I guess I can't totally get because, you know, my father's still alive and hopefully, you know, 
you know, that moment happens in my life, I don't have those same experiences. But for those who have had lost their father, lost their mother, um, you know, they've died, you have those regrets of what would you like, those things you said, you wish you didn't say, and you're never able to say sorry or never able to make up for. There's a lot of regrets we have in life, and you hope we live life here in such a way we don't have regrets, but the reality is, is every single one of us are sinners, and so we're almost guaranteed, we're guaranteed that we're probably going to go walk away with some sort of regret. And so, you know, Costner's character was carrying this very weighty guilt of what had happened between himself and his father. And, um, you know, it really drives him to do what he does. And it leads to this, in the, and so it leads to the end of the, towards the end of the movie, you have this absolutely beautiful moment where he gets to see his father when his father was young. And he says, and it really attaches because he said to his, he said that he never forgave his father for getting old. And here he got to see his father young. It was a, you know, it was his, uh, his atonement. His penance, as uh, Terrence Mann, played by James Earl Jones, says. It's the moment when he sees that it's his father, I almost, I start to kind of get choked up. And it's a, it's a beautiful scene. And you have, you have a lot of stories in this movie about penance, about regrets, about fulfilling those regrets. I mean, you have Terrence Mann's character who regrets having never seen Abbott's Field before it got torn down which is where the Brooklyn Dodgers played. You have the regret of Moonlight Graham's character, who is Archie Graham, uh, who regrets that he never got to... He never got to see... Uh, never, never got to play a full game of baseball. Um, he got one at bath, and that was it. So he never got to have that swing. Or there was one game and no at bats. That was it. And so, and it's kind of by the way, just kind of a little bit of a neat hist history about uh, Archie Graham for me personally is that he was born. Archie Graham was a doctor in Chisholm, Minnesota. He was a doctor to children, and my grandfather was born in Chisholm, Minnesota. And the years that uh, Moonlight Graham would have been a doctor there kind of makes me curious if he would have been my grandfather's doctor when he was born. I don't know. I'd have to ask my grandma or something and find out. But it makes me kind of curious about that because the years line up just right. Uh, according to this, he was a doctor from 1919 to 1959. And my grandfather was born, was definitely, um, had definitely been born by then and, during that time. And so... It's kind of a curiosity thought in my mind. Wonder if he, he ever treated my grandfather, and so, kind of have a nice little t t connection to family history when looking at that movie. Um, but like I said, we all have regrets. We all have things 
that we wish had gone differently. And this movie does a really good job of exploring that. Um, there's also an element of faith. Uh, as one of my members, actually, when we watched it on Monday, brought up is that, you know, Kevin Costner is getting this external voice that keeps telling him, if you will build it, he will come. And he doesn't know where the voice is coming from. He doesn't know who's saying. He doesn't know what, who he is. And he doesn't know what it is. And you don't really find out what he, who he is until the end of the movie. And it, you don't really figure out until, um, you know, figure out for a little while. But eventually, you know, he realizes he has to build this baseball field in the middle of his cornfield. So he's got to plow, plow down a huge portion of his crop. Um, you know, extremely costly, losing a lot of money and losing a lot of income by doing this. And so it's so it takes a lot of faith for him to do what he eventually does. And it's kind of so one of my members brought it up. It's kind of like Noah being told to build the ark and gather up the, you know, the animal, the each animal you know, two of each kind, and, uh, you know, he, he must have looked like a lunatic, looked nuts doing what he was doing, if you've ever listened to uh, Bill Cosby's sketch on Noah, it's hilarious, and it very well summarizes <coughs> how nutty it had to have been, do been for what he was doing. So similarly here, uh, you know, this movie, he has this character that's doing something really nutty, and yet he goes with, in faith, he builds this field, hoping that this external voice is holding true to its word, to his word. So, he, um, the movie also deals a lot with heaven and um, the afterlife, because you have these characters that are coming out of the baseball fields who have died. They're coming out of the cornfields into the baseball fields who have died. And uh, they're, they're not ghosts. They're not spirits. They're not apparitions. You can actually shake hands with them. And, you know, they're hitting baseballs and things like that. They're physical people. It's like a bodily resurrection. And... And they're doing something they love. Cause, and I kind of like that because we sometimes get this image that heaven is like, you know, this eternal uh, hymn sing. And that's all we do is we're just singing hymns on and on and on and on. And, and I'm kind of of the mind that when we enter into eternity, we'll be actually living in our vocation. Well, many of us will be. Not all of us, because some of us, our vocations will be unnecessary. You know, like if you're a doctor or a, a police officer, a firefighter, a nurse, a, uh, a pastor, you know, in many of those jobs, you won't be needed in eternity because there won't be sick people, there won't be people dying, uh, there won't be uh, needs to pre preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins because you're going to be in eternity and Jesus will do a much better job, Jesus and his angels will do a much better job of preaching uh, than any pastor can. And so, you know, we really are retired when we die and we won't have to do it anymore. But these guys are baseball players and I don't see any reason why maybe they wouldn't be playing baseball in eternity. 
That's their vocation. There wasn't, you know, baseball, the existence of baseball wasn't tied to some sin or something. So I kind of have the mind that who, maybe it is what they will be doing. I can't say that is how it's going to be, but maybe it is. We don't know, we don't know a lot about heaven. Um, I know there's those heaven is for real books and stuff like that, but, um, but feel the dreams, you know, in this movie, I think I like, I kind of like what it does here. And there is this little scene in, at the very end of the movie and it happens multiple times. You, twice there's somebody says, is this heaven? To which they say, no, this is Iowa. And another reason why I should like the Field of Dreams because it takes place in Iowa and I live in Iowa. I love the connections that this movie has to me personally. Um, but there's this one little moment at the very end where uh, after they, he asks him, so what is heaven like? And, he sa- and I, th- I think he's asking his father. And his father says it's where dreams come true. And Costner's character turns and he faces, he looks at his house. He sees his daughter and his wife. And he sees that he's visiting his um, father. And he says, you know what? Maybe this is heaven. And I think there's not 100% truth in that. I think there is probably some level of uh, new agey understanding of heaven that heaven is here you got you got to make your own heaven type idea and that is an idea that goes around i don't know if that's what field of dreams is trying to communicate but it could be but i could but on the other hand i could definitely argue that there is a taste of heaven in this world the joy the joyous times you spend with your children with your wife if you have one um, or or husband if you have one, whichever one you are, if you're if you're man or woman, with your spouse, we'll just say that. Uh, the time you spend with your spouse, you know, uh, maybe it's you know at a good baseball game and really enjoying it, just having the pleasures of life, um, and especially you come to the divine service, especially you receive the Lord's Supper. I think there's a sense that you could say that it's a little taste of the pleasures of eternity. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. And I don't know if that's what... I don't, I'm not going to say that that's necessarily what the movie's trying to say. Because I don't know. So I'd say it's one of those lines that... It has an element of truth. But I'd, on its surface level, it could be very false. So um, it's kind of a troubling. But nonetheless, the movie really does give you opportunity... To explore what is the afterlife. And like I said, we don't really know much. Um, the only there's not a lot of people that have been able to go to heaven and come back. And uh, we know the apostle Paul does. He records about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he but he says he wasn't allowed to talk about it. He's speaking in the third person. But we really don't know much. But the movie, I think that movie kind of invites us to kind of think about it and ponder on it. And more than anything, to look forward to it. Because heaven is a gr- eternity. The resurrection of the body is something that's great that we have to look forward to. Um, the last thing I want to focus on from this movie is that nostalgia. And in order to introduce this part... 
I'm going to play this speech from the movie. Um, and this is a speech by that's being spoken by James Earl Jones. So here it is. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. But it's money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they will walk off to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the face lines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. It'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I can brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. If America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Okay, so that's that speech by James Earl Jones. It's a just a beautiful speech. And, you know, he's obviously ta he's talking about baseball, and James Earl Jones has just the perfect voice for a speech like that. And here's why I want to use this look at this. This is kind of a a comparison. Because there's a lot of truth what he says in there. There one line that specifically stands in there, stands out in there that I'm looking at. It says, um, it says something about it's peace they desire. It's money that they have, and peace they lack. This line, money they have, but peace they lack. You know, we live in a world, and I mean, let's, you know, we could talk about the news. We could talk about, uh, you know, ISIS. We could talk about our election season where if you're like me, you're just frustrated and you just don't know, you don't believe you could vote for anybody that's running for president this year. And it's frustrating. And then you have our own lives this turmoil that rises up, we get into fights with our family members, husband and wife, parents and their children, brothers and sisters, even with a dog or cat or whatever. 
we live in a world where so much turmoil rises up in our families, in our lives. And we're seeking after some sense of peace. And there's a place for that. And that place is the church. The place where the body of Christ is gathered. So listen to these words again. And I'm going to kind of comment here as I go through it. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa. For reasons they can't even fathom. They turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure what they, why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have. And peace they lack. Now take that scene and apply it to the church. It's not perfect one by one comparison. But <coughs> they'll come to that building. Come to that old brick, that steeple. Those walls with an organ that may sound wonderful or may not. Voices in there. Some you might be lucky, you might have a congregation with angelic voices, but they may not. And they'll go in there, they'll walk in that door, not knowing why they're doing it. And many of you probably asked that many times in your life why am I here? I would so much rather be asleep in my bed. And we're not arriving as innocent as children. Rather, we, are, we arrive sinful. But we are reminded in the very first words of the liturgy, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen, the words of baptism, that we, though we come Though we are sinners, we are also saint. We are innocent as Christ on account of our baptism. And we don't mind if you look around. Look through the hymnal, look through the Bible. Look at the art of the church if you happen to have it. And it won't cost $20. In fact, it costs you nothing. In fact, the servant of this great celebration, he's the one that absorbed the cost. His name is Jesus. He absorbed the cost in the cross. And it is money that you have. It is possessions that you have. But it is peace that you lack. For it is only through Christ that true peace can come. 
And you'll walk to, so continue, this, continuing with this speech, it says, And they'll walk out to the bleachers and sit in short shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines, where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game, and it'll be as if they'd dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick, they'll have to brush them away from their faces. So it is for us. We'll walk to the pews. And whatever we're wearing, some people have to wear their Sunday's best, but contrary to popular belief, you don't have to. You'll find your reserve seat somewhere along one of the baselines. Well, not the baselines. Actually, you don't have reserve seats. Although I think some, many members of our congregation... They sit in the same place every week as if it is a reserve seat, and that's okay. As long as it doesn't get in the way of others. And they'll sit as they were children and cheered their heroes. So you'll sit down in the pew and you might remember a, f a father or mother, grandparent, a brother or sister who you left behind, someone who has died in the faith and how you used to go to worship with them. They sat right there next to you. Remember those moments and those memories with them. And most specifically, you're going to, during the course of the service, you're going to come up to an altar rail. And the pastor's going to say, take, eat, Take, drink, this is the body, this is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And in that sacred meal, you are united to Christ. And Christ is united to the person next to you, and you're all united together. You become one. You are at peace with one another and with God. And you're not only at peace and united to God and those at the rail, but you are at peace and united to all who have passed in the faith, our heroes of the faith. Whether it be close family members or it be someone of the Bible of long ages past that we've read and heard about. And you won't just watch the service You'll participate in it. You're one of the players. And it will not be and it will be as if you were dipped through you had dipped yourselves in magic waters, but the waters aren't magic. But the water with the word and the promise of God is the power of salvation, and it makes you part of this history, this richness of the church that is expressed. In the hymnody, some of our hymns dating from anywhere from, you know, the first century A.D. to 2006. With parts of the liturgy scattering from all different parts of the world. And the same is true of the hymns. The history of the church, the faces, the memories, it too will be so thick. That you'll have to brush them away from your faces. Again, 
So James Earl Jones, he continues with this speech. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Again, in reference to the church, the one constant through all the years is the church. The world has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. You know, we've had the Crusades, persecutions, we've had Inquisitions, we've had the Black Plagues, we've had empires and king kingdoms rise and fall. Many people have suffered and died. Many lives long gone, only left to the annals of history, and many who nobody even realized ever existed. There have been wicked people after wicked people. There's been wars, world wars. There's been holocausts. There's been genocides. And yet, the church still stands. The church has marked the time. This word, these sacraments... And those redeemed by it, and specifically our Lord and Savior, is part of our past, present, future, and eternity. He, he, it reminds us not of what once was good, but what is good. And it's the only good in a world filled with evil. For even baseball struggled with racism, as we saw in the movie 42. Even baseball has struggled with the steroid era. Even baseball had the lockout. Or the, not the lockout, but the strike. It has its imperfections. But Christ well, has no sin. And by his blood, the church is made holy. And oh yes, people will come. People will most definitely come to the gates of eternity. Where there's everlasting peace. Where we'll be surrounded by our heroes. And the memories will indeed be thick. And this is something that we, this, prom, this is a promise we've entered into through magic waters. Through the waters of baptism. Which are, again, are not actually magical. Rather, it's the word that has the power. This movie, if you watch it, it's a great movie, it's nostalgic. 
It can make one very emotional about baseball, about their family. But hopefully you watch this and think and realize that God has given us a peace, given us a source of hope in a world filled with turmoil. And it is His church. And He delivers it to us in His Word and His sacraments. Until the day comes that we join in the celebration of the marriage feast of the Lamb in His kingdom which has no end. Let us keep us, let us be steadfast. May the Lord keep us steadfast in the one true faith. And may we boldly participate in it, receive His word, receive His sacrament, and be witnesses of it to a world that has a lot of money, has a lot of possessions, but lacks peace. You are, if you are a child of God, if you believe, if you've been called to faith, you bear peace, and you are witnesses of it. May we all be so. Jesus, until he comes. Amen. Well, that is going to be the, it for the recording for Feel the Dream for this episode. Uh, just as a quick note, I always give a little bit of a star review for Feel the Dreams for the movies. Feel the Dreams, I'd give four and a half stars um, out of five. And so if you've been watch, listening to these podcasts, the few that I've done, this is the strongest review I've done to this point. Uh, like I said, great screenplay, good soundtrack, very good performances, wonderful story. Um, great movie. And I'm guessing many of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go and watch it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. So with that, uh, just a little preview for next week. Um, I'm going to play a quick clip to give you an idea as to what our next movie is going to be. Well, that is a trailer for Force Awakens, as that is going to be the theme for next week. Um, the movie just came out on DVD, and so I'm going to review and analyze Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens. Uh, with all that, I pray this was a blessing to you, and so the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord make his... 
lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Again, I am Pastor Neil Wiemitz. This has been recording of the Key Row Film Society. If you'd like to learn about the congregations that I serve, you can visit our website at www.iowaoclutherans.org. And so thank you and God bless.
Built on the rock, the church shall stand, even when steeples are falling. Crumbled have spires in every land. Bells still are chiming and calling, calling the young and old to rest. But above the soul, all the souls distressed, longing for rest everlasting. Here stands the font before our eyes, telling how God has received us. The altar recalls Christ's sacrifice and what his supper here gives us. Here sound the scriptures that proclaim Christ yesterday, today the same, and evermore our Redeemer.